Welcome everybody. This is the Fourfold View podcast. We're a podcast de- dedicated to doing uh, commentaries on books. You have myself, Curtis, Antoine, Greg, and Bay. We are here to talk about Proposition 7. Um, let's get into it. So for me, this chapter was very, very intriguing. It opened my eyes up to uh, a whole new way of looking at the creation story and some of the timelines that are um, included here. Uh, one of the things that really stood out to me, I'm gonna read it here, is actually the second paragraph. And it talks about how Genesis 2, 5, and 6 is kind of confusing. Um, it says that there were no plants when God created humans, yet plants come on day three and humans come on day six in Genesis 1. And then he goes on to talk about another sequence problem is that God created animals first and then on and then humans on day six. And then of course in Genesis 2, Adam is formed before the animals. Um, so like right then and there, it's just like the timelines are kind of flipped, so to speak. And I never really thought about, I, I don't think I ever really caught that before, um, before reading this book. I don't know if anybody else caught that or, you know, I'll open up to you guys. Let me know what you think. Yeah, I mean, personally, I have thought about this stuff a lot. Um, and I really think for me, the, the way that I always, the way that I always thought about it was kind of what John Walton has talked about and not like, in a like tooting my own horn kind of way, but like, I always did look at it as the role versus the archetype and think in Genesis one, God is laying out a, a, several things that I'm, you know, I'm sure we're going to get to, but in that particular you know, um, section that you're talking about when it's an ant, it's, it's God creating these animals and God creating plants and, and vegetation and all these. But then later in Genesis 2, it's God defining them as their roles, like vegetation as agriculture, like the abundance or the, the ability to provide food. Same with the animals, the, the, the ability to provide food, the ability to provide, you know, uh, ox and donkey for, for work measures. Like it was just the role versus the, the, the general nature of the creation. Um, and, and again, with Adam and Eve and, and people in general, um, Adam and Eve representing the archetype. And then, you know, that, that they weren't the only, like God didn't just make Adam and Eve and then nobody else. Um, because you see, as the author also mentions, um, when Cain is exiled after he kills Abel, he pleads with God and he, and he asks them, you know, to, to not mark him because then he will be killed in the wilderness. Well, who's going to kill him if he, you know, if he was the third person ever created, you know what I mean? There had to be other people. And I know also in Genesis one, a lot of people say, well, it, you know, it shows that Adam and Eve had other kids, not just, you know, um, uh, Cain, Abel, and Seth, that they had the multiple kids, but still, I mean, then they're just sleeping with each other, you know, and who was Cain's wife when Cain built a city, who was the occupants of the city? Um, you know, did, did Eve have 
thousands of children like you know i mean how many i know the bible doesn't clarify how many kids but i, I doubt it was that many um so I, I i've always liked to think that and i could be wrong um i always like to think that god chose adam and eve as an archetype as the representation of humanity not necessarily this specific person named adam and this specific woman named eve and everything else you know kind of like followed suit i would say not in as depth as curtis mentions more of a primary school description but um i kind of thought of it the same way as well but it wasn't because i i, I knew the answer or whatever it's just that's how my brain thought of it. it was like genesis 2 just comes next in the chronological order so i just never thought about it as in depth until we start reading the book honestly i just figured it was something that happened after adam and eve because it's the second chapter of genesis versus the first um but it brought up points that curtis mentioned too like <clears throat> kane being afraid that he's gonna get killed but by whom and i just always at that point thought when i read that it's like oh there's other people now so i just by, by luck um i guess i agreed with what uh um john walton's saying here it was just it was luck yeah i mean that that's a pretty good point too and i and i think john walton does a a really good job about again um, acknowledging that there's other people because even if you go down a little further um, you know he talks about how um, you know we know that Cain builds a city uh, the term city would be a pro wouldn't be appropriate um, unless it was a settlement of some size of people uh, so at some point at some time there had to be um, other people, of course, but uh, kind of like what Curtis mentioned earlier, uh, you, you just <laughs> we doubt that Eve had like thousands of uh, of children. We, you know, God had to create obviously more people, but like Adam and Eve were pretty much like the the the, the prototype, so to speak. So I, I can definitely rock with that um, analogy for sure. Hey, Bay, I'm going to shoot a question to you because so a lot of this stuff is, you know, that you you openly admit it that this is kind of like the first time you're you're hearing this kind of stuff um or at least going over these particular stories so i just wonder from how like the juxtaposition of growing up just in america and you know a, a judeo-christian culture and the you know kind of just hearing these things like everybody hears the story of adam and eve and then going into depth about these these not so surface level that it's not as as it typically has been relayed you know it's not so easily you know defined like how how do you deal with that like does it does it change your perception of of the bible does it or or you know does it do you have questions about you know just like the 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 layman's terms that are just so flippantly thrown out like just in our cultures i mean for me, um, I'm like you say, I'm learning along the way. Like, um, I've heard of Cain before, but I didn't realize it, that's apparently like their child, Adam and Eve's child. Am I getting that right? Okay, so I didn't know that until I read this today. Like, I'd heard the Cain, and then they're like Abel or something. Is that or does that come later? I don't know. Like, I don't know what that refers to, but I know that there's like a thing. But yeah, it's just like learning along the way. I I didn't realize a lot of our, I don't want to say slang, but like figures of speech, I guess, that like grandparents use. 
literally a lot of that just came from the Bible and I'm learning that as we go. And I'm like, oh, that's what that meant. Or, oh, that's light bulb, you know, like, and then I read it and I'm like, oh, that makes more sense. I think it's just more growing up and maturing and being, being able to understand the words because I think for years it was just over my head. And it's more just the thou shall not and, you know, the terminology a lot of times. So I think John Walton is definitely putting it in a way that I can understand it better. But I do feel like as we're getting further in the book, I'm going to need to brush up on my Bible studies more because, like, I wish I would have not read this almost last minute, this chapter. I wish I would have had, like, read it a week in advance because I wanted to go refer to the Bible and kind of, you know, so I could bring more to the discussion today. So I feel like that's at the point of the, this book um, that I'm getting at. I don't know if that answers your question at all, but. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it definitely does. It's, it, you know, I'm just curious. I mean, I don't think there's a wrong or right answer, but I do think, you know, John Walton kind of leads us or he ends up like a cliffhanger at the end of this chapter. Um, and I, I don't know, like his writing is so good. Just, it's almost like a TV show. Like at every, at the end of every chapter, he leaves you not, not only wanting to get to the next chapter, but he sets things up in this like foreshadowing way that, you know, of what is to come. And it kind of leaves you on the edge of your seat and, and like, and an anticipation of like, are they going to go, like, is he going to go here? Like he forms these questions in, in your head as you read. And then the payoff isn't until like the next chapter or the chapter after that. So that's, that's always, um, that's always interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think there's a wrong way to answer it. It's just, you know, opinionated question. I was just curious, you know, just cause like you said, we just have all of these, these sayings that are, are that do stem from the Bible. A lot of our culture stems from the Bible. All of, a lot of our culture is built on these, judeo-christian foundations and you know that's what i think frustrates me personally so much as you see them being thrown out you know it's like the baby is thrown out with the bathwater at this point um in our culture and it's um it's a little frustrating that we don't take we don't take the the right amount of seriousness when we read these ancient texts um sometimes we read them through the lens of like a fairy tale like it's like a, a myth or a figment of our imagination or something that you know, thousands of years ago, you know, these individuals put their kids to sleep with. Um, but that's not the, the case at all, because you see, and you see, I mean, John Walton even mentions it um, towards the middle of this chapter, is you find these similarities in every single ancient, you know, text, these, these pre-order markers that these people were wrestling with. They were trying to figure out this this our world they were you know they were trying to figure out what the cosmos meant you know they were excuse me they were trying to figure out you know how to survive and like things were hard um you know they didn't have the luxuries that we have today and you know it's like the quote that we talked about last week uh, you know i think that's real i mean i think these very hardened men and women and uh, um built these cultures that that we get to kind of suck off the teat of and you know we we act like like they're no good anymore and i don't know it's just frustrating i like how um also with john walton he also brings in metaphors to help explain things even though there wasn't one in this chapter um and then he also is big on explaining like breaking down the words that are used in the original text and kind of what you're saying curtis like how the ancient people thought when it was written 
Um, it kind of goes back to the very beginning of the book to know your uh, audience. <clears throat> and like, I, I don't know, I think, I think the way he breaks it down helps me understand the text a lot better than I ever, ever knew it. Yeah, I would agree. Like, I mean, I think we've all known that the Bible is, you know, very layered and you can read one scripture, you know, a year from now and it, you get a completely different revelation to it if you were to read it at a different time. Uh, but I, I do like that his writing challenges me to, um, you know, see it outside of my normal scope. Um, I don't know, maybe my brain just functions a little bit different, but like a lot of the, the things that he's brought up, it, it's just like challenged my brain to like reprogram and, and see it from a different lens outside of what I would normally read and, and take from the text. So um, it, it's been pretty good to just kind of have that eye opening experience. And, and like you said, Greg, like the metaphors and the breakdown of each of these, you know, chapters within Genesis, it's just been, I mean, even a, a creation story all in itself, it's just like, <laughs> I was kind of curious going into this, like how, I don't know how we're going to discuss so much in Genesis, but there's like so much to unpack. Um, it's just wild. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're eight chapters in and we are at, you know, the first few chapters in Genesis. I mean, like we're eight chapters in, in our book, you know, in the lost world series and only three chapters in, in the Bible like that, you know, I mean, that's, that's crazy to me. That's crazy. But, but again, you know what I mean? It's because John Walton took these people seriously. And, and I don't think that's done enough. Um, and, and just to even get to the point of this chapter was for, you know, John Walton's proposition was that chapter two is not a retelling of chapter one, um, that it is a sequel to chapter, chapter one. Um, and he, you know, he shows it, he shows that it's, you know, oftentimes there's parallels in the Bible. You have David and, or not Joseph and Jesus, right? Like, you know, that's a, like, that's a parallelism. That's, that's a, that's a foretelling or a, a, a Jesus type. Um, you know, and you see that, you see that often, you see these stories in the Bible that are type or, or recognized as types. They're very similar to each other. Um, but he's saying, that's not this, this is not a, this isn't a parallelism. This is a, a sequel. Um, and at the end of the chapter, he lays out these bullet points to kind of just show you the juxtaposition between one and two. And, you know, he has Genesis, um, Genesis one, it recounts the creation of all humanity. Um, and not just like a single couple that, that Adam and Eve, the title Adam and Eve is just that it is a title um, to build an archetype for humanity to, to look at. Um, and then he goes and uh, he, he says, Jesus, I mean, Jesus, Genesis um, does not report the scientific idiosyncrasies of creation, just that um, it was an act of God. Like he doesn't go into the details of like the scientific method and how, you know, you know, neurons and, and electrons are formed. No, he's just saying it's, a, it's, it's, it's an act of God. And that's all that is relative to humanity. Um, and then, you know, he, you know, hits a couple other ones. Uh, Genesis does not report, or, or no, that's what I just said. Genesis, uh, one is, um, 
the, the story of non-order in the cosmos, and Genesis 2 is the story of uh, non-order in the terrestrial realm. Um, and then the last one that I have is uh, Genesis 1 sets up the cosmos as sacred, and Genesis 2 sets up the center of the sacred space for humanity being the garden. Um, and my question to you guys um, is, you know, like, what is a garden? Like, what does the garden represent to, to you? Yeah, for me, the garden represents, uh, um, let's see, I'm trying to think how, like, to me, I think of it, like, in this t context, it's a place of, um, we lost grade. Uh, Antoine, were you about to jump in? Yeah, I mean, for me, um, that that's a good question. So, like, the, the garden represents, like, obviously, the beginning, right? Um, and, and from there, essentially, we see how man was slightly departed, you know, from God because we were given that option of free will, right? You had the, you had the opportunity to, you know, obey God or eat from the tree of knowledge. So like the garden to me is like a place of where everything began. And I know I might be off on that, but I was really curious to see what Greg was going to say before he, uh, froze out on us. <laughs> uh, looks looks like he's back. I guess that's my cue. Um, to me, it is a place of like almost perfection um, where why I just drop um, every like everything good, right? Like the way it's meant to be. Paradise is what I was getting ready to say. Um, the garden is a place where you can be at peace. Um, there's no hurting, no sorrow. Um, I don't know. That's, that's the way I picture it. I think I compare it to like the Garden of Eden. Um, like I said, in this context, the biblical context, um, where it's just the way the, the way the world should be, I guess. Yeah, almost kind of like I mean, would you compare it to maybe heaven? You know, when, when people refer to to heaven, they they refer to um, you know, no more sorrow, um, you know, no more sadness. You're joyful. Like that's what we're all we're all shooting for the garden, basically. Like I think life in itself uh, is just tough. You know what I mean? And as great as life is, we 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 have the unfortunate uh, obligation of not even obligation, but like the unfortunate task of like saying goodbye to to family members forever. Um, you know, through through death, and you know all these traumatic experiences that we we go through in life. The the goal is to live this life as best as we can. So we get that that sanctuary, that peace forever. Uh, where I mean, could you imagine a world where there's no heartache, no pain? You're not turning on the news and seeing all these crazy stories, school shootings, or um, police brutality, or you know whatever it is. All these things that sadden us. It's like, but what we do within 
this timeline of opportunity that we have to live right to to get to this garden to finally be at peace because i don't think we could ever fully be at peace in this current state because i mean it's a broken world it's a flawed world so we're obtaining we're reaching for perfection and like you said i think the the garden is like a sanctuary or even you know our representation of heaven yeah, and like when I think of this garden, um, I think of it with no weeds. Like it's a perfect garden. You know what I mean? Like it's fruitful. It's everything is growing, um, and kind of it's a piggyback on what you're saying. It's made me think of that more so. It's it's uh, a place of no sorrow, no sadness, um, just perfection, really. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, I want to kick it to you, Curtis. Like, what what are your thoughts of the garden um i don't know i think about I, i've thought about it a long time and i try to think about you know a lot of this book so far has been about function and um so i like to I like to put the garden in the context of that and it's like what is the function of a garden um it sustains life um you know there's walls to not only keep things out, um, but it keeps things in. And, you know, and that's, that's pretty important when you think about the roles that we have in our life. You know, we build these circles, we build our own gardens. You know, we build our own, our, our lives is the representation of that garden. And, you know, how do you tend to your life? How do you, like you said, Greg, you, you keep the weeds out. Well, what does that mean? How, how does one keep the weeds out of their lives? Do you, does that mean, you know, for some people, it's, do you just sweep them under the rug? You know, do you sweep a lot of issues under your rug, under the rug? And how does that work out for you? Because for me, if you're going to keep the weeds out, that means you have to address all the weeds in your life. Um, and that can be difficult. Um, and then there's a level of malevolence that exists, um, i.e. the serpent. Um, but I think that those those situations that rise up in our life um those that adversity you know we talk about that a lot Tuan. um i think that's what makes our choices that's what helps manifest our choices in who we're going to become um and for adam and eve you know they failed a lot of those tests they failed the test um humanity fails the test often um but you know i think that's you know, also the role of Christ. Um, you know, we have the opportunity to choose. We have free will to address those weeds or to not address those weeds, to keep things out or to let things in uh, or vice versa. Um, and, you know, like what kind of garden are, or what kind of garden are you going to manifest in your life? And those are, those are things that I think about regularly, daily. And every choice that I make, you know, how does this, you know, is this choice cutting away some weeds? Is this choice going to be fruitful and life-sustaining? Um, am I going to water the right food? Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, the garden is our lives. It's, it's the choices that we make. It's the adversity that we deal with. Um, and it's the role in which we choose God or not. Wait, yeah, man, I think that was... Sorry, Greg. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll be quick. But, no, I... I really like that analogy 
of like the garden representing our lives. And, you know, we talk about how to keep the weeds out. And I just often think about that analogy that I believe we spoke on earlier before where, you know, if you put a bunch of ping pongs and, uh, you know, a glass, and then, you know, let's say those ping pongs represent weeds, so to speak. Well, how do you get rid of, rid of them? Well, if you pour water in that pitcher that's containing all of those ping pong balls, AKA the weeds, you know, the more you continue to fill yourself up of the things of God, you know, you, you, you obtain that perfect garden, that spotless garden. And, um, obviously none of us are perfect and we're, you know, we're gonna have a couple ping pongs floating around in our picture. But, um, I, I think another good point that you mentioned too, that that's the role of, of Christ, you know, for him coming here for our repentance, that gives us another opportunity to pour into our pitcher again and get rid of the weeds. So it's like a continual thing. Like if you think about an actual lawn, which it drives me crazy, but like you can treat your yard, but those weeds still seem to surface here and there. And it's like a continuous thing that you have to treat. And that's the same thing with our lives. And how, how do you treat, um, you know, the, these weeds that come up in your life, these things that derail you from, a spotless um, lawn, you, you stay plugged in. You do things like what we're doing here now. You're sharpening iron. You're you're getting plugged into the things of God to try to just continue to help you, you know, with this uphill battle that we're all faced with. Um, so yeah, it's just my take. <clears throat> yeah, so I thought you were gonna steal what I was gonna say, and <laughs> I'm like, oh man. But uh, I was thinking, like, with the curse of saying with the garden, like, a garden also has, like, uh, you know, typically you have, like, a wall or something to keep things in and out. Um, with using, the, continuing with that metaphor, if you will, like, I was thinking, what of like, Christ is your gardener, and he comes in, you, you allow him into your walls, into the garden, and help you with the weeds, because you can't do it yourself. Um, that's what I wanted to say, and I was hoping Antoine would not say it. Um, so that's what I was thinking is uh, kind of what you're saying, Antoine, but I kind of use a just a different metaphor, but, um, he's your gardener and help, like, help me out. Like, Hey, I help me with these weeds and help me, uh, clean this garden up and I'm gonna rely on you and I'm gonna allow you into my garden, if you will, into the walls. So Jesus is like true green, you know, call him up, treat my yard, <laughs> clean me up. I get messed up again. Hey, I'm, I'm calling them again, but no, um, sticking with that analogy, I mean, how much better would our yards be if we just stayed with the uh, subscription of, of True Green to keep coming out? Like we get cheap, we get, you know, lazy, oh, I can do it myself. And then you don't, then you don't really do it. And then you see those weeds form up again. But if you just stay connected to a source that's always going to be reliable to come out, um, and treat your yard, AKA Jesus, then, you know, that those are the people you see with the perfect yards. And um, everybody else is kind of like me where it looks good some days and other days, <laughs> not so much. So, <laughs> I mean, truthfully for me, I think this would be a good stopping point unless anybody else has anything else. Um, I, I have one thing. 
Yeah, um, just to wrap up the chapter, I did have some highlights and Curtis hit on it in the bullet points. Um, but he also says in the paragraph before the bullet points, it's just that um, John Walton says that in Genesis 1, 2, an entrope cosmos is described, whereas an entrope earth is described in Genesis 2, 5 through 6, which is another reason to lo locate Genesis 2 chronologically after the seven days rather than in day six. So I, I see it as like what we we're saying at the beginning that we see this as a sequel. Um, also, I don't know if I'm saying it right. I had to look it up with what intro even means. Um, just for you guys, if you don't know what it means, it is an adjective for just begun or not fully formed or developed. So that added more meaning to that, which I already highlighted because I thought it made sense. But once I realized what that word meant, it's like, oh, okay. It's Genesis 1 is the cosmos. And then Genesis 2, we're getting into the terrestrial side. That's all I want to say. No, I that that was good, Greg. Thank you. Um, really, the last thing I'll I'll say, and then I'll I'll end it unless anybody has anything else. Um, kind of to go back to what Brian mentioned earlier um, about how he feels like he may need to go back and reread, you know, the Bible to kind of compare what is being spoken in this book and how it compares to. Um, you know, the word of God, I, I personally, man, feel like I could, I could benefit from that too. You know, just kind of getting bits and pieces of it and certain scriptures of what we're kind of honing in on, on the book. I think it would be really cool to kind of go back and read some of these chapters as we go in the Bible to really just get a better full perspective of, of how he's breaking this down. Because yeah, I've read Genesis, the whole book, several times, but not through this lens. So I, I think it would be pretty beneficial to do that for myself as well. So yeah, um, really, if, if nobody else has anything, um, like I always say, please like, subscribe, um, share our podcast. Uh, we'd love for you to comment and, and get plugged in the conversation as well. Um, you know, that's it for tonight. So thank you all for, for joining the podcast. And we look forward to going over Proposition 8 here next week. Take care. God bless.